Hello, Doug. Hello, Carl. How are you? Okay, I'm doing fine, and I welcome you back to the podcast, A Life in Biography. Thank you. This, for listeners who don't know it already, is part two of our discussion. Um, in the last podcast, you introduced yourself uh, as a historian and biographer. Uh, in this podcast, we're focusing on a particular book of yours that I'll be reviewing in the New York Sun called The History Wars. So I'm going to turn it over to you. You can say anything else you want to say by way of your own background. Explain that title, The History Wars, and what it's about. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I introduced myself last time, and uh, just to briefly uh, recapitulate, I'm a New Zealand-based biographer and historian. Um, and in 2021, a book of mine, The History Wars, which is subtitled The Peter Ryan Manning-Clark Controversy, uh, was, was published. And the book was about a controversy in Australia that started in... 1993. Sorry, I'm just it just had a brain fade. Yes, in, yeah, I was about to say 1993. In 1993, when Peter Ryan, who had been the director of Melbourne University Press, uh, just waded in to Manning Clark, his uh, best-selling author. Uh, Manning Clark had written a six-volume history of Australia, which which Ryan had published. And Ryan had become increasingly disenchanted with uh, Clark, although he didn't make his feelings publicly clear at all. And so there was shock and horror when in the uh, September 1993 issue of the conservative monthly journal Quadrant, um, Ryan um, published his diatribes which caused uh, a, a great commotion, distress for the family and um, what I tried to do was to show how this uh, controversy locked into Australia's unfolding uh, history wars about the meaning of its, uh, of its past and, how, and also um, how um, polarised uh, the history wars had, uh, had become. So um, that's just a brief uh, introduction to the book. Yes. Say more about Manning Clark. What his, you know, what his um, position, his prominent position, what that meant for Peter Ryan to attack someone like Manny Clark? Well, in some ways, I'm the wrong person to ask answer that question <laughs> because I'm not in the thrall of Manning Clark at all. Even though I'm highly critical of uh, Peter Ryan's behaviour, I didn't engage in a defence of Manning Clark. But um, as I said. Manning Clark wrote the six-volume History of Australia between 1962 and 1987, a, a neat 25 years. And it was a uh, singular work in that it started, it started out as something fresh and new. Um, and the theme was the clash of civilizations, meaning Protestantism, Catholicism, and the uh, Enlightenment. 
and there was initially genuine admiration um, from his peers, from his academic peers, for this brave new way of looking at things. But the admiration did dissipate with uh, subsequent uh, volumes. And uh, among the criticisms was that it was f far too gloomy a view of Australian history, just for the sake of being gloominess. That it was um, personality driven to an un untenable extent. It was always being seen as the clash of titans and uh, at the expense of issues and themes. And then there was the vocabulary and he kept trotting out and banging on about his uh, stock with his stock phrases about men with feet of clay and having fatal flaws and people being described as the measurers, the straighteners, uh, the men in black coats and all this. <laughs> it, it sounds very melodramatic. Yeah, well, yes, and uh, Clark had a melodramatic personality. And um, would you also, call him a bestseller? Beg your pardon, Clark. Would you call his books best-selling books? I mean, did they sell a lot of copies? Well, they sold a lot of copies. It depends how you define best-selling. Right. But certainly, with uh, Melbourne University Press, when Ryan took over, and that would have been sixty-two, um, he didn't actually. Um, Commission Clark's work. Uh, he had the uh, the, the uh, page proofs, or it was just about ready to go to the bookshops. Um, so he uh, and he saw he saw the next five five volumes through. Uh -huh. But um, oh yes, you, the, the the question best selling. Um, Melbourne University Press had a massive overdrive at this time through. Uh, partly through the mismanagement of its previous director, um, who, who was sacked, uh, effectively sacked. It was a constructive dismissal, and Ryan came in his place. Um, Manning Clark's volume, you know, the first three volumes certainly helped get Melbourne University Press out of the financial mire. Um, by this time, Ryan had become thoroughly disenchanted with the work, and he had every opportunity to terminate the contract. Uh, we can go into this a little later. I just want to get through. through oh, sure. It. And um, anyway, he he hung on like grim death to the um, thought through to six volumes. And um, as a, well, it was an indirect sign of his disenchantment. He refused to, to uh, attend the launch of the final volume which greatly upset Clark. So, but, but anyway, just getting back to Clark, I mean, sure. you have the six volumes. Uh, it had was being increasingly, um, not exactly, well, disparaged might be the word for it, by the historical profession. And Clark muddied the waters because he was so sensitive to criticism. And he came up once saying, Whoso uh, attacks my work attacks my deepest self. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, putting off uh, putting off reviewers, and uh, many historians just refused to um, review his work. But the other side of Clark's uh, popularity or notoriety—call it what you will—was uh, in the political sphere, because particularly after 1975. That is when the Australian Labour Party government of uh, Gough Whitlam was sacked by the Governor-General, which caused the biggest constitutional crisis Australia's had. 
But increasingly after 75, he was reviled as a pro-Labour intellectual and uh, publicist. Um, he, I mean, he came up with an article after the uh, dismissal titled, Are We a Nation of Bastards? <laughs> previous, uh, well, you know, the previous 23 years of Liberal Country Party government was written off as the years of unleavened, unleavened bread. So you can see that he got up the nostrils of, um, of conservatives. And in fact, the following year, um, with the Boyer lectures, which are held, what is it, every one year or two years, sponsored by the Australian Broadcasting uh, Corporation, whereby a prominent Australian will speak on a subject of, the, of their choice, um, the new government, the Liberal Country Party uh, government in power, tried to vet the lectures before they went to air. And this was unprecedented, and it caused a huge uh, fuss. Um, another part of the equation was the Conservatives had no comparable guru of their own ah. at the time, um, until Geoffrey Blaney came along. Um, and Blaney and Clark, uh, they were good friends, actually. But uh, also, Clark was always at the ready to speak in public places on on any political matter at the, uh, but really uh, towards the end, in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, and he died in 1991, um, he, at, at risk to his health, he was here, there and everywhere, giving, giving speeches, speeches on every uh, conceivable subject. And as I indicated, he had this singular personality. So you bring all these things together and you can see why um, Manning Clark was a, uh, a considerable public figure. Yes, and yeah, controversial, yeah. So, so um, there's um, the writing of history, there's politics, and there's personalities. Yes. And there's this uh, attack of Ryan on Clark. How does how do you go about unraveling all of that? Well, like many people, you wonder why he did it in the first yes. place. Um, what was in it for him? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he had... He had actually approached um, Robert Mann, the um, then editor of uh, Quadrant. Um, this would have been in early 1991. And he offered to write an article along the lines, a critique of Manning Clark, uh, both the historian and the, and the person. And um, Mann, who was no admirer of Clark's history any more than I am, um, well, you know, was agreeable to this. But then, um, you know, Ryan was told, well, you better hurry up because Manning's in a very bad way. And in fact, Manning Clark died a, a few weeks later. Mm. So the, the, the project just went on hold. But then it was revived in 1993 when Ryan asked Robert Mann again whether, you know, he could do it. And it's pretty obvious, to me anyway, what was going on. Because um, 
in the first place, Ryan wanted to absolve himself of the responsibility of um, publishing Clark's work. He was basically saying, I, you know, I really didn't have any option. We had to, the, the press had to make money. Yeah. The book was selling, uh, the historians were saying it was great. So who was I? And also my board of directors would, would not have let me, he said, which, which I, I dispute actually. Um, so the, the, there was that side of it. I mean, he, he just wanted to atone himself because he, um, he started off as a lefty. But um, in 1995, the year the Whitlam government was chucked out, Papua New Guinea became independent. And Ryan had fought in the war in Papua New Guinea and had a great affection for the place and, and people. And he thought that, that, that uh, the independence was uh, just um, grossly um, premature. And so he, he changed political forces. And now that he was on the right, right side of politics, or I should say the right-hand side of politics as a distinction, he, um, he, he wanted to atone. Uh, the other reason was that uh, Ryan criticised Clark for being for wanting to be a blatantly wanting to be a public public figure, but he too was a public figure though in a different way because through his writing, he'd had newspaper columns for for many years, and he had just been uh, sacked from his um, column in the Melbourne Age which was the more, in those days, the morning broadsheet. Um, the column was called As I Please. And he had written a potentially libelous article about the Prime Minister. And um, it's just a bit hard to work out what was going on. But he, he lost his um, column in the age soon after that. And here he was fishing around for a new column and so he tried out um, Quadrant, first of all, by presenting them with the, uh, with the critique of Manning Clark as the person and uh, the man in his works. And uh, one thing led to another. And a couple of months later, he had a monthly column in, the, uh, in, in Quadrant, not as good as the one in uh, the uh, age. Well, in Quadrant, he was speaking to a the converted and it was a much smaller audience than the broad more broadly based age and he continued that until oh just a couple of months before his death and uh and he ended up with a couple of thoroughly unpleasant uh, um columns about the historian um uh, brian fitzpatrick which was totally unnecessary to say the things he did but uh, that was peter ryan the master of cruel invective. One of the things that you had access to was Ryan's archive. Well, um, it's in the yeah, it's in the National Library of Australia, and it's on open access, and anyone can look at it. Um, and I think it, oh, the it must must have been about two thousand and fifteen. And I, uh, I've got family in Australia. Uh, two, my two daughters are there, my mother, while she was alive, sister um, in Adelaide in South Australia. But that was a good base from which to sally forth. 
And uh, at the National Library of Australia, sure enough, Peter Ryan had sold his um, archive, or most of it, to the uh, National Library. And there were several fold. There was a whole series on the um, on the Clark controversy, and usefully it contained a, a lot of newspaper articles. Some of which I never would have found for myself because they were published years later in in provincial newspapers. And yes, there's the there is there is his correspondence or much of it pertaining to the um, the controversy over, over Manning Clark. What I found interesting about your description of the archive is that some sometimes people leave behind an archive uh, to justify what they've done. I don't know if that was his motivation or not, but you certainly found things in his own archive in the sense that convicted him in his own words. Well, yes. The, I mean, the most incriminating evidence against Peter Ryan was uh, was his own archives and his autobiography as a publisher. Um, it was, it yeah, was go ahead. It wasn't, it wasn't all there, but the, a lot, you know, there was a lot of it there. For example, you know, he claimed that here he was, he you know, set forth in the public interest to um, show that Manning Clark and his works were a fraud. Um, and then, he, and then, for his troubles, he was set upon by a bunch of uh, historian, left-wing thugs, um, and you know that's not the case at all. Uh huh. Yeah. He was, he, he, he was certainly round, roundly uh, criticised, but you know what come what comes out very clearly was how much he was the instigator, and also. Um, how much private support he received. There, there are numerous letters from people um, signing themselves concerned Australian and the like, saying you did exactly the right thing. But um, in his in his published work and his attacks on Manning Clark and his and in his biography, he doesn't he doesn't reveal that at all. Mm. And and also just the inconsistencies. Uh, um, he, he'll say one thing one day and, and, and one thing another day and it's just, he's just uh, totally unreliable He seems carried away with his own arguments whatever those arguments might be on that particular day He, Yes uh, but, but, but also um, one of Manning Clark's biographers and Clark has had quite a few biographies two big ones one of his biographers um, Mark McKenna interviewed um, Ryan. Uh, Ryan died in um, 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, McKenna no, you know, noted that uh, when Manning Clark's name came up, Peter Ryan's entire being became animated. <laughs> um, he, after all these years of saying how much he despised him, but... You know, Manning Clark was just so much of Peter. In some ways, he was so much of Peter Ryan's identity. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, Ryan ended up by you know just saying derisively that uh, Manning was a hypocrite. Yeah. But really, Peter Ryan was the hypocrite of any if anyone was yeah. because 
here he was um, telling the world what a dreadful um, six volumes Clark had written. And yet when Clark was under the hammer, with you know, finding volume, well, with volume two and certainly with volume three, wondering whether he, he could go on, there was Ryan telling him, yeah, look, Manning, you must go on. This mm. is what work you're writing it's telling the Australian people who they are and uh, your your vast army of readers want it um, he didn't mean a word of it mm. but he, he, he wanted he, he certainly wanted the money from the sales of the volumes now that and, part that particular point you learned from Brian's archive um, more from the um, Records of Melbourne University Press. Ah, I see. Ah. It, it, it all it all comes out there, in, in 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 quite significant detail. And some of those letters were actually published in a selection of Manning Clark's um, letters, edited by Rosalind Russell. It's a book called Ever Manning, and some of those letters come out there. So. In some ways, I wasn't being so original because the uh, material, some of that material, was already in the public domain in printed form. Mm -hmm. But it was he 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 had he had many opportunities to offload the work onto another publisher, and I'm sure there would have been a bidding war. And uh, and an example is of. Uh, uh, Ryan's inconsistency or hypocrisy, call it what you like, was when he was uh, he was saying that he was he got really annoyed with Clark, who was making um, unauthorized approaches to other publishers. This was mainly about the paperback rights more than the um, taking over the uh, the, the project. Mm -hmm. Here he is saying that it's uh, you know this was this was terrible of Clark to 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 do that, but at the same time, you know he is Ryan ought to have been grateful because he 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 should have he should have offloaded the project. Here he is on the one hand saying that Melbourne University Press are reputable, we won't publish rubbish, um, and yet he's knowingly publishing what he considers to be rubbish. In order to get the, in order to get the sales, and then um, he refuses to offload or give paperback rights to any other publisher, sensing correctly that he was on a on a tidy little earner, as he called it, and at the same time criticizing Clark for um, uh, asking other publishers whether they'd be interested in the paperback rights. And Sun Books was certainly very interested. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a facet of Ryan's character that uh, he just had to have and to hold, and he and much of his some of his identity was bound up with Manning Clark and his history of Australia, and yet it, it was something that he dined out on on the one hand and clearly resented on the other hand. Yeah, um, I noticed you had some contact with Manning Clark's family too, right? Yes, um, it was. Uh, Sebastian Clark, uh, Seb is the is the oldest of the of the six kids. They're not kids anymore, um, and he was the executor to both his mother and his father's uh, papers. And 
as Seb has always done in the past, he's made his parents' uh, papers available to um, to authors um, and not interfering in the least. Uh, oh. Also, Katerina Clark, uh, the, the daughter, I, I contacted her and she uh, she was very helpful. Um but they're the only they're, they're the only two. It was quite interesting, actually, how um, how I got in touch with uh, Sebastian Clark because I was at the National Library and they brought out a folder and then they said, "Oh, I can't remember what it was. It was either or you've got to return the folder or you can't take digital images from it without the uh, permission of um, the executor." And I said, "Well, that's Sebastian Clark." How do I get, could you tell me how to get hold of them? And then somebody uh, in the desk behind came up and said, look, excuse me, I heard your conversation. Uh, my name is David Stevens and I can put you on, Doug, I can put you on to um, uh, Sebastian Clark. And David Stephen was the, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, he was the editor of a, uh, of an enterprise called Honest History, looking at Australia's, you know, past and uh, what they in an honest manner, and uh, it was just a remarkable coincidence that he was behind me. I got on to Sebastian, and um, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, that's it was wonderful. Yeah. Just wonderful the way that you have a literary executor who's so obliging, who doesn't look over your shoulder. And um, even if he disagrees with what I said, they didn't complain afterwards. Yeah, that's marvelous, given the fact that it's such a contentious story. Uh, oh, yeah. You, yeah, you were quite fortunate. Okay, so you have a book. We've talked a lot about uh, Peter Ryan and Manning Clark and um, the sort of the, the duel, in a sense, um, between them, although Clark was dead while Ryan was saying most of this uh, perpetrating this attack on him. But you call the book The History Wars. And uh, as you get toward the end of the book, you, you talk about, in a sense, the ramifications or the greater scope of what this story actually means. Maybe you could say something about that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, perhaps start at the beginning that I only ever intended to write a journal article on the controversy, um, trying to sort out the rights and wrongs of it. And at the end, uh, I just devote a few paragraphs to the history wars and uh, try to demonstrate how uh, it locked into the history wars. Um, uh, then the article grew like topsy. And when it came to the book, I realized I had to tell more than a story. It had to be more than um, teasing out the rights and wrongs of it. I had to really locate it in its wider setting in a much more thoroughgoing fashion. And that's why uh, the, the third part of the book uh, is about the history wars per se. Uh, the, first, the first part, part one was um, setting the scene. Um, the second part was the actual controversy and the rights and wrongs of it, as I saw it. And the third was uh, how the um, controversy was uh, part of uh, Australia's ongoing uh, history wars. So 
say more about those ongoing history wars. What what do they involve? Well, um, when Clark was alive, the um, in 1988, there was the Australian Bicentennial. Um, that was to celebrate 200 years of Australian nationhood. And that was um, highly contentious. Um, and there, was, uh, there, there were competing ideas of what the bicentenary should be uh, celebrating. And it should be, should it be a celebration of um, the Australian achievement over the last 200 years? Or should it um, also say something about um, uh, dispossession? Yes, which which we have a lot of parallels with this country. Yes, is it an is it an invasion or is it not? Um, it was it was around this time that uh, Paul Keating became the Australian Prime Minister, and he had what he called a bigger a, you know a big picture of what Australia should be like, and it was uh, he was into Reconcil you know, reconciliation, uh, republicanism, um, an Australian voice. Um, he also rather foolishly, I think, um, started to um, berate uh, Great Britain over the betrayal at Singapore in 1942 when the Australian troops were trapped by the, uh, the Japanese on the... Uh, coming down the Malay, Malay Peninsula. Yeah. And uh, on the conservative side of politics, you know, particularly with John Howard, who later, the, the, who later became prime minister, it was far more a case of the Australian achievement. And Clark was obviously very useful to Paul Keating. And they became, you know, not, not close friends, but uh, reasonably good friends. And Clark has been accused of um, being the brains trust behind Keating in his big picture, which wasn't the case at all. It was, uh, it's been quite clearly shown before I um, in, endorsed the view that uh, there just happened to be a, a community of interest between the two. And that Clark, uh, Clark simply uh, provided validation for for what Keating already believed. So it became. I'm sorry, Clark or Ryan provided validation for what he believed. Uh, for for Keating, uh, it was Clark who Clark, provided okay. yeah. the validation. Whereas um, Ryan, on the other side, was uh, you know saying that the work. You know the way the the, the left wing Australian historians are presenting the uh, history of the country makes us look like a, a country of born losers, unquote. Mm. Um, and, and so you have the rosy view, and the gloomy view. Yeah. And Jeffrey Blaney, uh, this was only a month before Ryan published in um, Quadrant. Um, he published an article. Um, and he coined the, uh, it was drawing up a balance sheet of Australian history. Let's have a balanced view. Sure enough, there were bad things went on, but these are 
overshadowed by the good things that went on, the economic achievement, for uh, for, uh, for example, and the uh, and the onward march of the uh, democratic institutions. Um, and he coined the phrase "black armband history," mm. um, and it. Uh, and against to counter that came up the expression whitewash history. <laughs> so, so you, I mean, it was becoming highly, highly polarized. Well, it it's, yeah. uh, it uh, is as I said before, it, it has its parallels in this country as well. And mm. I'm um, reading now a new biography of uh, C. Van Woodward, the historian, uh, who uh, toward the end of his career got caught up in also what you might call history wars. He had spent his life, you know, writing about um, segregation and race and was in many ways, you might call him a conventional or old fashioned liberal. And he became profoundly disturbed by things like the black separatist movement. Uh, The idea that um, uh, when weighed in the balance, you know, America had uh, practiced its own kind of sort of genocidal history. So it's, I mean, there are, you know, there's certainly parallels there. Yeah. Uh, But but also, I mean, the history wars, you know, they started to, they certainly started to hot up. And... uh, they involved such things as um, museum displays, the school curriculum, for example, mm-hmm. um, rather con- sort of contentious these days is what's called An, An- Zachary. Um, that's a, a take on the, um, the Anzac Day ceremony. Anzac meaning Australia-New Zealand Army Corps in 1915, when the New Zealand and Australian troops were involved in the Dardanelles. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a military defeat. And um, that has become the day where you commemorate the fallen, the, the soldiers that uh, made the supreme sacrifice. And uh, I'm just, I'm a bit disturbed by the, in Australia, it's almost become a, this, what is a secular, what ought to be a secular uh, um, commemoration has become um, almost a, so there's a religious fervor about it that everybody must participate and believe in it. Yeah, it's... Um, I can see it as too much of a, a, too much of a glorification of war. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just the way I see it. Yeah, history becomes sort of ideological. Well, history always is ideological to some extent, but yes. uh, th- this th- this is just this is blatantly so, in, in in my view. But that's just another example of how um, the history wars are not only playing out, but how the uh, uh, the theater of action can change from uh, you know time to time as a as a new issue comes up, and many of these issues are, are media driven. Oh it's yeah, the media, yeah. Media, it's the media that gives them um, oxygen. Here too, yeah, very much so, yeah. So, so there's the. Uh, 
so they so what happened was that the, with the book was that it uh, you know I realized that I had to tell more than a story of a uh, controversy and I had to uh, attempt to uh, place it the uh, controversy in a much wider setting yes it seems to me and maybe this is too facile but you couldn't deal with biography without dealing with history and you couldn't deal with history without dealing with biography oh well i mean exactly and um i mean is is my book history wars a biography or not and you'd you'd have to say well it's partly biography and biography plays a a, a big part in it the second chapter is actually a uh, you know just a biographical a comparison of uh, Ryan and Clark. Yes. Trying to show, you know, where where each of them was was coming from. But that that raises another. Hey, yeah, that, that that just reminds me. It raises another question. That uh, uh, did I find the book easy to write? Well, yeah. I the actual writing. I didn't find all that difficult, because, well, partly because I had thought my way through the issues, for the, well, for the most part anyway, and partly because, you know, I, you know, when telling the story, as, as I keep calling it, it was pretty, I'd worked out the structure and it was pretty evident where I was going next. It's when I got into the third part, the history wars, that I had endless difficulty organising the material. What was going to go where? And I, I submitted it to the publisher in um, when was it? It was May nineteen twenty. Mm. And uh, friends had told me that the first chapter of the third part, where you get into the history wars, you've got to move some of that material up front. Mm. And I sort of resisted the idea. I thought, no, I think I've got it right. But then the uh, publisher, this is the Australian National University Press and the Social Sciences series. And uh, the, the, uh, the the word came back. The committee, the Social Sciences uh, Committee, read over, and they said exactly the same thing. And I thought, well, yes, they must be right. <laughs> and... Uh, it just involved an awful lot of chopping and changing, and that—that's what—that's what held me up. What also held me up was when I got into the chapter dealing with Keating and his big picture. I did have trouble writing that, and it got too long, and then I was shifting material around. And uh, um, but uh, it was—it was a lot of hard work on both sides. I'm really eternally grateful to the social sciences. Um, publication committee of the ANU press, the, the amount of effort that they uh, put into it. And it, it came back and said, we will reconsider it once these revisions have been made. So I made the revisions and then they wanted more revisions. And it might sound onerous um, and it involved hard work, there's no question. But I'm really so grateful to them because a much, much better book resulted. Mm -hmm. It I'm glad you told us about the process. I think that's important. Yeah, well, it was... Um, I'd thought in the first instance of giving it to an Adelaide publisher, but I was 
supposed to be um, writing a jointly authored book on a couple of Australian intellectuals, and I had to pull out uh, for, for family reasons. Uh, my wife hasn't. My wife's dementia was. Um, it, it just got too much trying trying to cope on the home front and and uh, write some quite difficult stuff. Yes. And then I offered it to another publisher, and uh, the, the, here I was. Uh, in the middle of, they asked to see some chapters, and so I sent them some of the uh, earlier chapters and um, one of the later ones, and they felt that uh, that I hadn't uh, located the material sufficiently in the Australian history wars, but I was still writing that stuff, and it's the story of my life is if I if I give an earlier version to somebody to uh, you know to consider. Uh, it's always been a disaster. <laughs> this was a disaster too, but but in the end, I'm I'm just so glad that it came out with the ANU Press, which is a, they're a very strict publisher. You you do it you do it their way. Their editorial standards are very high. They can get a bit bureaucratic at times, and I've told them so. But uh, I'd uh, I'd go back to them any day of the week. Sounds good. Is there anything I should have asked you, Doug? Um, just, just looking through the, uh, I've taken, I've taken down so, some notes. And we sure. Can, uh, um, I, I, I suppose one of the uh, th things that we could discuss is um, the extent, not simply the extent of polarization, but the the absolute bitterness with which history wars can be con conducted, mm -hmm. where the rules of engagement um, are just, uh, it just get thrown out the windows. I mean, it's it's almost like playing uh, the Hell's Angel, you're trying to be the Mark, um, the Marcus of Queensbury, trying to have a fight against the Hell's Angels. There don't seem to be so many um, rules going, and it, it operates on both sides. But, um, I, I was asked to omit, chop out 10,000 words when I went to the, at many of which were um, restored. And one of the things I wish I had um, not chopped out was uh, some criticisms about um, Quadrant's way of um, conducting business. Um, I gave some examples of some of the unpleasantries that could go on. And um, one was that um, a historian, a he was a historian, a journalist, and an academic called Hal Kolbach, wrote a diabolical so-called tribute to the historian Eric Hobsbawm. Now, this is a, supposed to be a tribute. Mm. The, um, the first two stanzas read, Hell's got a new guest today. Eric Hobsbawm's come to stay. Oh, Stalin has really overcome with someone new to lick his bum. Ooh. And, that, and that, <laughs> actually, that actually gets published. In a journal. In, in Quadrant. Yeah. And that's, that's seen as, um, you know, within the rules of engagement. <laughs> 
And on another occasion, two years later, and this was in the wake of the Man Manchester bombing, Quadrant's digital editor posted an article on the magazine's website lamenting that the bomb blast hadn't happened inside the uh, Sydney headquarters of the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Yeah. And he said, life isn't fair and death less so. Had there been a shred of justice, the blast would have been detonated in an ultimate, uh, Ultimo, that's an Australian public, uh, sorry, Ultimo is an Australian uh, Sydney suburb, Ultimo, in one of their um, uh, television studios. Mm. Uh, so it's... Uh, when Quadrant, when Quadrant published the uh, Peter Ryan's uh, broadside on Manning Clark, it, it was it was nothing out of the ordinary, and and the magazine had um, had many criticisms of of Clark in the, previous to that, and ongoing criticisms too. So it was uh, they were certainly playing the man and not the ball. Well, you certainly. I was I was expecting Quadrant to give me the treatment, and all I got, <laughs> all I got was an insipid review. Oh, and really? Thought, yeah, so, so which did nothing to promote the book, because <laughs> as, as I said before, I was they gave me no oxygen. Well, I hope my review does better. It's not an attack on you, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. It's really about how these history wars come about. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Doug. Um, yeah, and I, I hope we can do it again. Yes, I hope there'll be another time. I, I, I enjoy these sessions and um, give us a few weeks and we'll think of something else. Yes, yes. You can send me an email on another topic. Okay. <laughs> I will post this. And as, as before, I will send you a link. And when my review comes out in the New York Sun, there will be a link to this podcast as well, as well as telling readers how to get, you know, access to your book as well. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm, I might as well say now that yeah, it's, available, it's available as a free download. Yes. And all you, all you have to do is to Google ANU Press History Wars, and it will, it will pop up. ANU meaning the Australian National University, but it's the it's officially ANU Press. So just Google ANU Press History Wars. Well, that's terrific. Mm. Uh, even better, a free podcast and a free book at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say you. goodbye. Uh, to be continued at some point. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye.